Welcome back in, everyone. A very happy holiday to you all. And thank you for joining us today on a fabulous new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by a very special guest today, the wonderful theater artist and actor Seth Numerick, who's playing the role of Owen in the current production of Translations, which is playing now through December 31st at the Irish Repertory Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting irishrep.org, but you're going to want to hurry and do this fast because it has to close December 31st. And this New York Times critic pick show is a fantastic show. And so we're very excited to be sharing this with you today and very excited to be joined by our guests. So let us welcome in our guests. Seth, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad I could uh, come on and chat about the show. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you here. I, I personally cannot wait to be seeing the show later this week. We're recording on a Thursday, but I get the fortune of getting to see the show this Saturday, and I could not be more excited. This show, as I mentioned, is a critic's pick. It's been getting rave reviews. And so I want to start by having you tell our listeners a little bit about what Translations is about. Right. Well, that is a complicated question because, uh, to be honest, it's about a, lot, about a lot of different things. And Brian Friel, who wrote the play, he himself kind of uh, struggled with what is the play about? What did he want the play to be? Um, it's set in 1833 in a rural part of County Donegal in in Ireland, part of the Republic of Ireland, but in the north. And it's set in a time when the British armed forces, it was a colony of, of Britain at the time, and, and the British army was going about this process of uh, what they called the Land Ordinance Survey, basically of mapping the entire island of Ireland, which is something that had never been done before. So they were going through the country, creating topographical maps, and then as a part of that process, they were also figuring out what to write on the maps. And at the time, obviously, the Irish language was the predominant language spoken by the people living there. But uh, Irish and English don't meld very well. Some of the sounds are very different. So, you know, they needed to figure out what are we going to call these places. So the play follows a couple of people, myself, who's a, an Irish man who had grown up in this region and then had left to pursue a life in Dublin and elsewhere, uh, who comes back with a regiment of British soldiers who are engaged in the Ordnance Survey. And he and these soldiers start this process of, of renaming, basically, or, or uncovering the meanings underneath the names that already exist in the places, and then figuring out how to translate those names into things that English people could say and understand. So, you know, I think that what Brian Friel well, as much as getting in touch with the history of the 1830s in Ireland, uh, that, that has aided us in the process of building this piece, but also understanding the time in Ireland when Brian wrote the play in 1980. So that was in, in the thick of the troubles. Um, he wrote it to be performed originally in, uh, in Derry in Northern Ireland. So it was, it was an incredibly tense and fraught political atmosphere. They were literally risking their lives to perform this play. They were performing under bomb threats and had to be escorted by police in and out of the theater, you know, things like that. It was a high stakes situation. And I think what Brian was responding to was, you know, looking at the world around him and seeing these stark differences that existed between the people all around him and that there were these lines drawn both literally on, on the map and also ideologically and politically that 
it was very, very hard for people to come together across those lines. So I, I think he was looking back into a period of Irish history where some of the events that occur in the play ultimately led to the moment that he found himself in in the 1980s and trying to reach back and understand something that could speak to the present moment. So ultimately, you know, he actually has a, a quote. He, he wrote a diary, and apparently Brian only kept a diary when he had trouble writing a play, that in general he wasn't much of a diary keeper, but when he was struggling with something, he wanted to get, get his thoughts out to help him in that process. And he said something, I'm going to butcher it, but he said something along the lines of, you know, I don't, I don't want to write a play about Irish peasants and I don't want to write a play about the death of the Irish language and I don't want to write a play about land surveying and I don't want to write a play about place names but all of those things are relevant and all of those are part of the atmosphere in which the real play lurks and I, I love the way that he used the word lurks that it's somehow this mysterious and maybe even frightening reality of, of what the play is really about, because I, I think ultimately, you know, the word translations can have so many different meanings. And I, I think of the literal process of taking one word and turning it into another, but we also translate in other ways all the time. And what's interesting to me, not to give anything away, but in the play, the most successful version of translations that happens is in a scene with two characters who don't speak the same language and don't have any literal translation between them, but there's something else going on between them on a heart level or on a soul level or on some other fundamental level that doesn't require language. So I think he had something to say in this play about how do we connect with each other? How do we other each other that when, you know, when language is established, that's a way of distinguishing us and them, you know, that those of us who understand each other, we are part of a collective. And if you don't understand us, then you're outside and, and you're other. And so I, I think he had he had all of those things in mind when he wrote this, but it's to me, it's just it's a it's a beautiful piece of writing and one that you know spoke so poignantly to the time when he was writing it in the eighties um, during the troubles, and I I also think speaks uh, has a lot to say about the world that we live in today. Wow, that is an incredible piece you're a part of. What a <laughs> show! So I'm curious to know how did you come upon this work. Yeah, so I went to Juilliard in Manhattan when I uh, when I was training as an actor early days. And when I was in my first year there, I was a young, aspiring actor. And the fourth year students, when I was beginning as a, as a first year, this was one of the the productions that they undertook in in their fourth year repertory season. So I had never at that point been exposed to Brian Friel or his work. And I mean, really much uh, in terms of international playwriting to that point. So the, seeing this play kind of blew my mind. And, you know, the, the true achievement in the writing, just on a technical level, is his choice to he, he has a conceit wherein different languages are spoken on stage, but everybody for the audience's sake is speaking English. So the Irish characters are speaking Irish to each other, but we as the audience hear them in English and the English characters are speaking English as well. So it's a, it's a sort of device that doesn't seem like it should work, but somehow he made it work in the, in the writing. And, you know, we have some work to do to make it clear as well in the in the performing of it but he he really laid it out very beautifully and so watching that production when i was uh, when i was a young aspiring actor it just sort of filled me with this kind of awe and and wonder and the beauty of his 
prose and and the the opportunity that it provided to those actors to embody these characters who had this deep desire to understand each other but couldn't or or struggled to to do so and that now looking back strikes me as you know what we look for as actors acting is about action and when you are clear about what you need and what you want then the pursuit of that can be so fun and exciting so watching those actors contend with that it just really sparked something in me and since then i've been so interested in the rest of the canon of brian friel's work i got to do another play of his in london several years ago a production of fathers and sons which is his adaptation of a turgenev novel so i had another moment of being exposed more intimately to his work and then, yeah, last year, I, I kind of saw the the breakdown that this production was going to be happening. And that name translations had stuck with me since, you know, 20 years ago now when I first saw that original production and just thought, I've, I've got to get got to get in for this, got to be seen. Doug Hughes, who is our brilliant director, was someone that I had known a little bit, who I had done a, a sort of a workshop of a new play with some years ago. And so I got to sit down with him and talk about the play and then did an audition for him shortly after and just feel very lucky to to be involved. Very cool. Now, unfortunately, the show is closing very soon. Yes. We're catching this on the tail end, but I'm curious to know, what has it been like developing translations? You know, to be honest, it has been really exciting. <laughs> it's really it's amazing when all the elements seem to align in a way where, you know, I, I'm working with an extraordinary company of actors. I really think to a person, everyone is doing beautiful work and is so well suited to the role that they're in and brings something surprising and intriguing to what they do on stage every night. And I get to be right there, you know, witnessing it and responding to it. The design, the the theater itself, I think is, it's just a wonderful place to work. They're very kind and generous people. And they're it's a very artist forward theater, which is not always the case. I feel like this place is very much about providing the, the artists with what they need to create and then kind of getting out of the way and letting that process happen. So that kind of support was really much appreciated. And then, yeah, our our fearless leader, Doug Hughes, is just, he's a very thoughtful and intelligent and precise director, but one that never imposes his will. <laughs> At least that didn't happen for me. He's very, he wants to be involved, but he also wants to see what the actors can bring to the work and allow it to develop and un unfold in the way that it that it might and so i i feel like having that trust from his side of the table was just so freeing and you know it's it's not always like that so th this has been one that i've truly savored every moment of and, and it's also one that you know the play is exciting to perform every night it's challenging it has it takes a sort of emotional toll um definitely but i Still, every every night I feel really excited to to go and do it. So I yeah I wouldn't change anything about this process other than maybe that it has to close on the thirty first. I think I could keep going if we if we could. Yeah. Well, I love this journey and this connection you've had with the show for so long, and I am curious to know what is the message or the thought that you hope audiences are going to walk away with from this. Oh boy. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I think, I think there are a lot of things. I think that 
you know, something that I got really in touch with, because ultimately, I, I don't know, people will walk away with what they walk away with. And I, I guess all I can say is what I walk away with thinking about pretty much every night. And, and one of those things that one of the big things is thinking about things around me in the world that seem to be neutral and, and re-examining whether or not they might have some political or ideological um, underpinning. And I, specifically, I mean, in this case, thinking about mapping. And before coming into this process, yeah, I mean, I guess if I really thought about it, I think, yeah, sure, the people responsible for making a map is, is, you know, they are answering to the government or answering to whoever, but it's not something I've ever spent that much time thinking about. But, you know, getting into this process and recognizing, you know, making a map is not an inherently neutral act. You have to think about what was the reason that the map was made. And in this case, for these people in Ireland, the British Army was not doing, they may have, you know, said this is what they were doing, but it was not about, oh, we're going to come and, you know, be friendly neighbors and make this map so that you all know where you are and how to get around. It, it, it was a colonial act and an act of, of violence in a way to be able to keep tabs on the people there, also to be able to support the people who owned a significant amount of land in Ireland who were all English people that had a lot of money and could own estates there. So, you know, when you when you look at them, when I look at a map, I don't think about there being politics behind it. I don't think about there being layers of suppression and, and oppression. And I think that unfortunately, that is that is the reality. And, it, you know, it's been interesting working on this play and thinking about these things and thinking about the names of places. And it's gotten me really curious and interested about you know, in my in my life, I, I live on Huron Street in Brooklyn, and I live between Manhattan Avenue and McGinnis Avenue. And I had never thought before working on this play, what are those names? What do they mean? What you know? Why are they there? And you know, the, I won't get into what what those are, but all around us, you know, Manhattan is a Lenape word that in, in that language means the place where we gather wood to make bows, and that's something that I you know got interested. In just from from this this play, but you know something like that. Does, does anybody know these days that it comes from that language? Does would anyone know what it means? And in our play, we have a lot of those things. We talk about the original Irish place names, what they mean to the culture, and then we start to see the culture that is basically bulldozing and and paving over that original culture to rename them and reclassify them for their own purposes. So there's something to me about, I, I would love it if people were walking out of the theater thinking about, you know, what was here before we laid down these roads? Uh, what were these places called before we put our, you know, Dutch or English or whatever names that they have now on top of them? And beyond that, I, I guess what I said earlier about language and how do we perceive language because i think for brian friel that's really what this was all about and i think he thought that all of life in a way was about language and about how we choose to communicate with each other and how we can both bring each other in and exclude each other using language and how do we get very clear and intentional about what we're choosing to do when we speak and when we try to translate ourselves and our ideas for other people and and vice versa it's a beautiful message. I love that. 
My final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to this show? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's something I feel like is in a bigger picture for the theater in New York and in the world. I, I mean, I would hope that anyone who wants to have access to theater can can have it. I've spent time living in London and working over there where it's a lot easier, a lot cheaper to get into the theater. It, you can kind of decide, do I want to go see a movie or do I want to go see a play? And it's roughly the same amount of money. And boy, I wish we lived in that situation here. Unfortunately, that's uh, that's not the case. But I, I will say that, you know, again, to the credit of Irish Repertory Theatre, they, they do a lot to try to make the work accessible to as many people as possible. They have an initiative called Green Seats, which is for young people, which they define as under 40, which is nice for $25, $25 tickets for folks under 40. They have 22, I think, $22 tickets for previews that are available, you know, at first come. They have a half price rush. They have they have something free tickets for playwrights. If there are available if there's availability and you're a playwright and you show up and you know, want a ticket, you can see a ticket. Same for uh, military and first responders. Um, so they do a lot to to try to get in as many people as, as they can. And I will also say, as actors in the play, we get four complimentary tickets every week of the run, which... I have never in my in my career, I've never had such a generous offer of complimentary tickets from a theater. And, you know, I'm very grateful because working on other plays, I know that there are friends of mine who just couldn't come because they couldn't afford it. And in those other spaces, I wasn't able to, you know, get them in or or I couldn't purchase the tickets myself because they were too expensive. So a situation where I can make an offer and get people I know to come in and see it who I don't think could have been able to see it otherwise. Like that's that's just very meaningful to me and it's meaningful to know that they're they're really trying to work on that at this theater. second half of our interview we love to let our listeners get to know our guests a little bit better pull the curtain back if you will <laughs> and i'd love to start by asking you what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites well i'll get the boring one out of the way because i you know i find that to me being an actor is is in a way being kind of pr uh, professionally obsessive <laughs> and I kind of have an obsessive personality anyway. I just get so sucked into the world of whatever I'm working on and uh, it's something I really enjoy. So in that way, right now I, I'm inspired first and foremost by Brian Friel and his genius, by Doug, our director, and by the the actors that I'm working with on this play. I mean, like tr truly genuinely inspired witnessing their work and, and getting to play against it every night so that you know that that's real and, and very immediate i'll also say i just finished a long run working on tom stoppard's play leopoldstadt which was an extraordinary experience um getting to work with him again i i met and worked with him a few years earlier on his play travesties but this was a an amazing opportunity and he's someone who inspires me on the level of you know a, a true artist takes his experiences, his or her experiences and perspective and can channel it into a creative outlet. And I think seeing what Tom came up with 
in that play after the experience of, you know, recognizing his Jewish heritage and understanding, you know, his narrow escape from, from the Nazi regime in Europe and, and finding the way that he could put that into words, put it on the page and then, and then bring it, you know, with all of us together onto the stage that I just, yeah, I'm blown away by, by him and his creativity. Beyond that, I mean, gosh, there are just, there are so many. Right now, what springs to mind is I've always been a huge fan of Com Complicite and their work. I've seen a couple of their shows over the years and just been really amazed by, you know, the out of the box thinking and the, the movement and, you know, things that I am not as in touch with as a performer myself, or I haven't gotten to do th those types of things so much, but I, I find it incredibly inspiring. I also, I got to meet several years ago. In London, when I was living there, some of the founding members of the Belarus Free Theater, and there are some people that I've been in touch with just on and off over the years and seen a bunch of their work and talk about inspiration. You know, several of their company members are living in exile, I think, between London and the United States. Oscar Eustace at the Public has been a huge advocate of their work and has put on some of their work there at the Public. But they... They're from a country, Belarus, where non-state sanctioned theater is illegal. So if the government doesn't rubber stamp your production, that means you, if you're going to produce it, you are literally taking your life and freedom into your hands. And, you know, as they explained it to me, they have had members of their company, quote unquote, disappeared or imprisoned for years for doing theater. And... To me, you know, obviously that's moving just on a on a base human level, but recognizing that theater and the creative process means so much to them that they're willing to risk that much to do it, you know, it really puts things into perspective for for me, certainly, in terms of what am I what am I going to choose to put my efforts into and if it were a life and death situation or if it were a situation like like what they're in which you know who, who knows the, the any <laughs> things could go any direction it feels like in any society but you know both they're both uh, recognizing the inherent value of theater and recognizing that it has an important place in their culture such that they're willing to risk everything to do it. And then I also think beyond that, it just, it, it's reflected in their, their work, that there's an immediacy, a raw power to what they do. They've also traveled all over the world to work in different conflict zones and work with people on different sides of conflict to try to make theater together and make theater in response to those conflicts. And yeah, I just think that their work is, is really exciting and, and beautiful. And and then the last thing I'll say is my dad. My dad is a theater maker and an actor, and I grew up around him and what he did for a long time. He ran a theater company that was mostly about doing devised work and storytelling, creative storytelling with kids. And I just, yeah, I'll always really, really cherish the lens through which I saw this creative life originally, which is, you know, growing up with him and seeing his struggle as an artist, but also his passion and his commitment and his belief that there was something valuable in it. And I'm really, really lucky that I grew up with that because it's it's allowed me to pursue it in a way that I know that I have the support from my parents and that I kind of had a, a pathway to follow in the early days of, of finding my way into this career. That is a fabulous list. Wonderful. <laughs> now, I know you've been very busy with this show, but on the off chance, have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? 
Oh boy, you know, I have not seen much because I finished up Leopoldstadt and then pretty quickly jumped into this. So there hasn't been a, a lot of time for me to see anything. Let's see, I this is already back in the summer, but I saw the comeuppance at Signature Theater, Brandon Jacobs Jenkins play, which I thought was extraordinary. Like just so, such a beautiful play, an incredible ensemble of actors. I At the time after I'd seen it, I thought for sure that it was maybe bound for Broadway or could have another life. And maybe it's still, well, I never know how those things happen, but maybe it could come back and people could see it again. Around that same time, although maybe it was even earlier, I don't remember, I saw The Jungle at St. Anne's, which that seems to be traveling around. Maybe that could come back around. I think just an incredible piece of theater that everyone could should see. You know, another thing that I didn't see the production that's happening currently, but Mary Catherine Nagel's play Manahatta, having just spoken about, <laughs> about the, the place names, I saw the production that I guess it had started at OSF. I saw it at Yale Rep, and now it's here at the public, I think, is where it is. Yeah. And so I don't know exactly if it's the same, same, same production or the same actors or not, but that was a, I, I really, really loved that. And it was unlike anything I think I've ever seen in the theater. And, and that was a, a really cool, cool thing. So th that's what I can recommend. Although, oh, and then also my partner, Charlotte, and I just a couple months ago got to see Merrily We Roll Along on Broadway, because that's one of her favorite musicals of all time. And not one that I knew at all. I was, I went into it completely cold, having no knowledge about it. And I thought it was really excellent, really, really well performed those those actors are beautiful i got to work with daniel radcliffe years ago and i think he's just a really fantastic guy a beautiful performer and just all of them it, it was a really fun and 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 touching and you know moving night in the theater and i was i was pleasantly surprised by that so there you go there's a broad gamut of things <laughs> wonderful list of suggestions i love <laughs> all of that thank you for sharing that Cool. I want to ask you, what's your favorite part about working in the theater? Okay, I mean, I guess I'll risk sounding too philosophical here and forgive me in advance, but I kind of think about one of the fundamental things about being a person, existing as a human in the world, is that we have an individual experience, right? That like, no matter how hard I try... I could never actually see the world from your perspective through your eyes. And in the same way, no matter how hard you try, you can never see the world through my perspective. But we seem to have this innate desire and drive and maybe even an imperative to try, to, to attempt the impossible by trying to see the world through someone else's eyes. And I, I think that that happens in relationship, you know, both in, in friendships and in family and in, in uh, romantic partnerships, like you, there is something about getting close to someone is in a way trying to understand their perspective, how they see the world and letting that perspective influence you. So I think there's that level of, you know, the constant attempt in a subconscious way. But I think that our connection to story and storytelling, like, you know, that there's no amount of time you can go back in the past where story wasn't connected to the human experience. You know, we we see it as far back as it goes. So I think that, you know, part of experiencing a story is seeing the characters and seeing what they go through and seeing how they deal with those situations. And then as an audience, you can put yourself in their shoes and think, what would that be like for me? I think that's why we tell stories. And I think that 
in the theater, what is unique, because that happens in novels and, and you know, in films and, and paintings, even, you know, that that sharing of perspective and a creative medium that that runs a, a wide array. But in the theater, we get to do it live and we get to do it together in community and we get to do it in real time. And I think that those things are so crucial in that attempt. And I, I think, you know, again, I'm I'm getting <laughs> philosophical here, but we've become so individuated. Our experiences have become so focused in, in, on ourselves. You know, we're connected to these devices all the time, wherein, you know, algorithms are telling us what we want to see and what we want to hear and how we want to experience the world. And so much of what we do and how we function in the world happens through those machines. And yes, you are connecting to other people through the machine, absolutely. But your experience of it all is totally individual. And, you know, I think that there are good and bad sides of, uh, of technology and uh, of these, you know, these new media. But I do think that theater has something to offer that none of the rest of it can do. And that is, we are all in the same room, and we're all breathing the same air. And we're all able to hear each other you know that's sometimes we joke about it as actors of people that are you know talking in the theater or people that are unwrapping candies and like i can hear you too you can hear me so that means i can hear you too we are all together <laughs> in the same room so whether people whether or not people are fully conscious of it or, or not who knows but i think what is beautiful about it is that it is truly a collective act that we can we, we it's impossible to do on your own. And I think that we need to, I think we need to embrace more of that as a culture being together and doing things together, because the more individuated we become, it just gets harder and harder to do that thing that I was saying at the beginning, which is the actual human need to connect. And I think that's something that theater has to offer. We can never do, you know, the special effects the way that other media do we can never do you know there's certain things that only film and tv can do or wh whatever it is but there are also things that we can do that those other things can't do and i love seeing theater that embraces that that embraces true theatricality and that's the stuff that that i get excited to see and be a part of and that's you know that's what why i love being a part of this this world that is a brilliant answer, and I love that answer. Wonderful. And now we have arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Well, I'll tell you the first thing that springs to mind, which I guess I probably have categories of like favorite memory as an as a performer and also as an audience member. And the, and the audience member one popped up first. I don't know if you saw another Brandon Jacob Jenkins play, An Octoroon, which is a Soho rep production from, I don't remember how long ago. Beautiful play, beautiful production. And I actually saw it not at Soho rep, but at Tafana when it moved there. There was a moment in that play where there had been cotton balls strewn around the stage for most of the play leading up to this moment. And every so often you'd notice, oh, there's more cotton, there's more cotton and that had, you know, a connection to the story. But at a certain moment, the entire back wall of the theater, of the, uh, of the stage, started to tip and fall forward. And it was one of those moments where they genuinely pulled it off in a way that was like, oh my God, is that supposed to be happening? And then as it came down, the air that was, you know, being displaced by the wall coming down 
forced all of those thousands of cotton balls out into the theater and it just exploded like a like a snow globe and all of a sudden the whole theater was just filled with and i was in the balcony and i got hit by some of these <laughs> cotton balls so it was this moment of like incredibly simple again a theatrical device that all it is is a wall coming down you know you're not doing cgi there it's just a simple mechanical device but that with creative ingenuity can produce this moment of shock and awe and delight and i, I just that's that's a moment of watching theater that um that i'll never forget and you know the the themes of the play like it it was it wasn't just a moment of you know a fun thing it had a, a very palpable connection to what he was writing about as well so it you know it, it tapped in on that level <clears throat> i also i said this is not really one memory but i've gotten to go and spend time at the edinburgh festival theater festival over the years a couple of times i performed there a couple of times and i just have a, a whole slew of incredible memories both performing there but also just you know, seeing work from all over the world and just being in a place where, you know, every year a million people or more show up over a month period to celebrate live performance. And that just fills me with so much joy and and gratitude and moments where, you know, sometimes I'm talking with people and think like, oh, is theater, is it going to survive? You know, how are we going to survive? Is it really a viable art form anymore? And then you get an environment like that and you think, well, yeah, there's all these people that are obsessed with it enough to come here for this long and go through all of this to produce theater in this way. And, you know, it's it's magical and, and mind blowing. Um, and then the last thing that popped in, because so often the things, the memories that stick with you from the performance side of things are the things that go wrong. And, you know, I've got many, I've got many of those sort of theater nightmare stories, but one of them, I got to do this play War Horse years ago at Lincoln Center. It's a beautiful piece um, with the Handspring Puppet Company, who I can also plug, even though I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's brilliant. The Life and Times of Michael Kay at St. Anne's Warehouse. I, I've seen snippets of it videos and I just know those those guys are brilliant and I know I know it'll be amazing so I can recommend it unreservedly but working on that play on Warhorse there was a moment at the end of the play it was a very you know tragic tale up into a point and set in the first world war and I was a, a young boy who had run away to the army to search for his horse who had also been commissioned into the army and he'd been looking for him the whole time two hours searching for this horse and I've been blinded in a gas attack in the trenches. And then all of a sudden the horse comes on upstage of me and I've been looking for it this whole time. And the horse has been caught in barbed wire. And so they think it's lame and they decide the soldiers decide, oh, we're going to kill, shoot the horse to put it out of its misery. Of course, the audience has been witnessing this and they you know, level the gun, the, the rifle at the horse's head, and they're going to shoot it. And every single night, without fail, the audience, there would be an audible gasp when the gun went up to the horse's head. They go, oh, no, you know, he's right behind you. One of those moments, like, go get him. He's right behind you. Um, so one night, the gasp occurs, the gun goes up, everyone goes, oh. and then I'm sitting all the way downstage. And from two rows from the stage, this loud New York accented voice goes, the gasp goes, and he goes, ah, come on, they're not going to shoot the horse. <laughs> and the entire audience erupted in laughter in this tense, you know, 
dark moment, but this mo this moment of levity of like, okay, yeah, you're probably right. You've probably you've paid a hundred dollars a ticket. They're probably not going to kill the horse, but the tension that was let out in that moment, and then we were all able to go right back into the play. But again, it's one of those moments that you only get in live performance. That it was actually. You know, it was a distracting moment of unwanted audience participation, but it was also hilarious and uh, really enjoyable for everyone involved, myself included. Those are amazing memories. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing those. Yeah. Well, do you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Uh, I do actually. Yeah, I'm in the spring. I'm going to be working on a new play. It's called Corruption. And it's by JT Rogers, who wrote Oslo uh, a few years back. It's going to be at Lincoln Center for the Mitzi Newhouse Theater, their smaller off-Broadway space, which is also where Oslo started. And Bart Scher, who directed that and who I worked with on play Golden Boy years ago, he's directing this. Uh, it's a really interesting new play about about the Murdoch newspaper empire and their massive abuses of power, specifically in Britain in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where they were caught doing uh, some pretty nefarious stuff and hacking into people's phones and voicemails and just holding an enormous amount of power and sway over uh, the British people writ large, but the but parliament and even the prime ministers, they, they were they were doing some bad, bad stuff that had some very serious consequences on democracy in, in that context. And there were a couple of MPs and some journalists that really worked hard to take them down or to uncover the extent of their um their evil doings so this play is is all about that about those events but i think really does have a lot to say also to the world that we're in now you know a decade or so later where things have gotten even more the, the waters are even murkier when it comes to media and politics and money and all of the all the scary stuff that can happen when those things combine in the wrong way. So it's an exciting script. I'm excited to see where it goes. There's some really excellent actors involved. And yeah, I'm excited to jump into that. So that'll be running at Lincoln Center Theater in the Mitzi House from February 15th to April 14th or something like that, something in, in that range. <laughs> yeah. I cannot wait to see that. That is my kind of play. So I will <laughs> oh. definitely be there with bells ringing and flags waving and everything that's so exciting <laughs> my final question for you is if our listeners would like more information about translations or about you maybe they'd like to reach out to you how can they do so yeah i mean irish rep their website is the place to go if you're interested this this season they're actually only doing brian friel plays so there are three friel plays this is the first then they're doing uh, aristocrats another uh, gorgeous play that he wrote and then the last one will be Philadelphia Here I Come, which was his first real hit as a playwright. And yeah, I would definitely, I'm excited to go and check out those other two productions and I would uh, I would recommend them. And all the information on that is on the Irish Rep web website. I don't, I don't have uh, social media. I'm not such an online person, so I don't really have, uh, have any way to get in touch with me, but you know, I'll be around. <laughs> Well, Seth, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me hey, today. Thank you. I cannot wait to see the show. I can't wait to see you in other shows, including Corruption, coming this spring. 
And I just appreciate your time today. This has been wonderful. So thank you so much. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I so appreciate it. My guest today has been the actor Seth Numerick, who plays the role of Owen in the current production of Translations that's playing now through December 31st at Irish Repertory Theater. Tickets and more information are available at irishrep.org, which is also a great place to get more information about the show and about the rest of their productions for the season. This is a great theater company and you won't want to miss any production they do. They do stellar work. But right now, get your tickets, and I mean right now, for translations because it's a critic's pick and it must close December 31st. So your window to get to see the show is getting very narrow. You won't want to miss it. Make sure you say hi to Seth while you're there, who's playing that great role of Owen. And the show again is translations now through December 31st. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our brand new website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.